Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on chapter 23 of Matthew, uh, dealing with the woes. It's called, there's seven of them. Uh, in most Bible translations, maybe you, you find some of the older Bible translations will have actually a eighth one, which is verse 14. So if you're going through here and you look uh, verse 13 and you miss 14, look at your footnotes and you'll probably have it there. Uh, but our focus is at, at this point uh, on verses uh, uh, 23 through 28. Now, we'll get there in a minute. But first, I just want to, to emphasize that, that what Jesus is, is, is trying to approach here for us and what he's sharing with him. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the, the, the crowds and his disciples. That doesn't mean there's not Pharisees there. Wherever there was a crowd of, of, of people following Jesus, and if teach, if, especially if Jesus was teaching, there were some Pharisees there. Now, he had just spoken to them directly, but now he's speaking about them. And I want you to make sure, I just want to make sure that you understand that he's not speaking behind their backs. And remember, the reason why they're there, why they're always around him when he's teaching, is that they're waiting for a mistake. They're waiting for him to, to make some kind of error in teaching uh, where he says something against either some particular group of, of, of uh, belief. You know, there was just like we have different uh, denominations. You could say they had different denominations. Uh, uh, and, and so, you know, waiting so that they could pick up on it and say, oh, look, he offended the Pharisees. Or, oh, look, he offended the Sadducees. Or, oh, look, he offended the Herodians. And there's more to it than that. There's more groups. But just the idea that... So they were looking for anything they could to discredit him. So uh, Jesus is speaking to the, to, the, to the crowd and to the disciples. And he's going to use the Pharisees as his object lessons. Now, he has just told them uh, before the first woe, in the first few verses, that he says, you know, don't be like them. Where they have basically grown to the point where they're the ones that, whether it's in the synagogue or in the temple halls and in the temple hall or in the temple courts, are the ones that are reading the Word. By the way, when they're reading the Word, pay attention because it's the Word of God. He, that's what he's basically saying in those first few verses. He's saying, whatever you do, don't practice it like they do. In other words, you can listen to them and say, read the Word, pay attention, but don't copy their lifestyle. Jesus is concerned about our character and our lifestyle. We could go back to the Beatitudes, which I did last week briefly. And, and the, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. For, you know, they shall see God. It's, it's, it's the idea of, of, by the way, pure in heart is to be broken in your heart uh, over sin. To mourn uh, and you be comforted is to mourn over your sin. You see, it's, it's and, and the... the all of the things that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount are, are things that are to break us, to, to get us to a position where we see we are sinners and we need what? A Savior. That we're not capable. We're constantly battling sin. We're not capable of doing it ourselves. The whole purpose of the Old Testament law, Paul writes later on, is, is to tutor us, to teach us. In Galatians, he speaks about this. To tutor us, to teach us, what sin is and that we can't do it on our own. We can't get clean on our own. We need a Savior. And who's the Savior? Jesus Christ. That's what He's come to do. He is the Messiah. 
He is the Lord God. He is the Savior. God in the flesh, Emmanuel. So, you know, Jesus is, is concerned about this issue of, of character. And in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, just after the Beatitudes, uh, starting with the 13th verse, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, to harden the ground. You know, the, it, salt, you've got to understand, was, was a precious commodity. It was used to, for, for cooking and stuff like that, like you might today. But the more important thing was to preserve food. Fish and meats and stuff like that, so that they had some kind of shelf life. Okay, and, and so the salt, and, and salt's like, you know, they, they didn't walk up and say, oh, here, uh, uh, if it rains, it pours Morton salt. Uh, it, it, you know, they, they got salt in a, in, a, in a little bag, and it was expensive, it was precious, you used it sparingly, uh, and, and the grade of salt varied. You know, it, it, sometimes it was, it was more diluted as they mined it. They didn't refine it like they, you know, the sea salt is. They, 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 and some, sometimes it, was, it wasn't very salty. And it didn't last and, and, and hold out very long. And he says, when a salt's lost its saltiness, what good is it? Well, it's good to, to, to throw out on the ground where the pathways are because it keeps what? The weeds from growing up and it helps harden the path. So at least it's got a purpose. So, keep, you know, so he's saying, that, uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so, if we're the salt of the earth, it means we're to stay salty. And there's a way to do that. Staying fresh and, clean and, 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 and connected with, the, with God's Word. And, and, uh, and, and so, this was something that they were, were to do. Part of your lifestyle. And, and, and then he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a base basket but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, don't you take the, the glory to this. The light is in you and God and Christ has come into you and He's made you the light of the world. He's pulled you out of the darkness, going to, to John's chapter 1, 2, and 3, and he's, he's pulled you out of the darkness and brought you into the light. But whatever you do... You know, uh, you know, don't don't take the glory for yourself and say, "Oh, what a good boy am I?" Well, that's Tom Thumb. Oh no, um, uh, but but you know, and the and the reason why I want to emphasize this is is because that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were taking the glory, the honor, the respect. Look at what I have done. I am keeping the law, so to speak. And so, that's Jesus is concerned about our lifestyle. Jesus clearly expects the world to be transformed by the presence of His people. Jesus expects the world to be transformed by the presence of His people. Sometimes the, the thought comes out, well, if God knows everything, and He knows, you know, before the foundation of the world, my name, and whether it's written in the book of, of, of life or not, What's, why, why do I need to go out and to share, to witness, or to be a good testimony in the community? What difference does it make? Because, first off, he said to. 
Okay, but more than that, he, he's invited us to participate in the, 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 the spreading of His Word and bringing glory to Him. He's, we've been invited to participate in it. Do you realize what an amazing honor that is? That's what, one of the, that's what the Pharisees were missing. They loved to go and, and, and sit in, at, at the place of honor. They, they, they loved to be greeted with their titles in the marketplace. They, they wore their clothes in, in such a way as to draw attention to themselves. So that they would, everybody would know, oh, there goes the Pharisees. They are so awesome. Now, I, I, it's interesting to, to think in these terms because it was, the people felt like if they, if, that, that the Pharisees had an automatic ticket to heaven, even though the, the, the poor people who would never be Pharisees. But I, I didn't really understand this until I, I was reading a couple articles and some research that had gone back. But, you know, they mumbled under their breath, as they would say it. Oh, hi, Rabbi. <laughs> You know, in other words, they, 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 that person made them feel small, made them feel little. They didn't get any encouragement from them. The rabbis weren't there to lift them up. They were there to hold them down and to lift themselves up. So they were the opposite of, of, the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Talk about the oaths. Talk about prayer. Talk about uh, giving their alms. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, do these things quietly. They did these things loudly. To draw attention to themselves. So, the change in the world that they were making was they were simply lifting themselves up. God was not getting the glory. We are to give the glory to God in such a way that, that other people see that and they want the God that, that we have. They want to be a part of who we are and, and, and seeing what God is and knowing Him. We are to be able to... to through our lives, show people in and out of the church. When I mean in and out of the church, I, I, I literally mean in the building and out of the building, but I also mean amongst its family and outside the family, the unsaved people of the world. We are to, to live in such a way as to draw a response. In fact, you can't not live and not draw a response. You're going to draw a response of some kind. No matter what. The same thing with Jesus. He, he was saying, you either believe me or you don't. You know, you're either with me or you're not. And, and, and so, some people might think, oh, well, uh, oh he's, he's just a meek, you know, quiet person that sits quietly by himself. And, you know, and that's all they can see about me. Or they might see me as a very boisterous person, loud and, and obnoxious. Or they might just see my Jesus buckle or my, my Jesus pin or whatever. And, and think of, oh, he's one of those. Uh, you know, uh, I might carry my Bible. I may speak about it. I may not. You know, all these different things. What he is saying is that we are to have such a, a reputation in the community that, that people are confronted and need to see whether they're, you know, the works of God working in you. We're not talking about perfection. And, I, and, and, and somebody says, well, if we, if we blow it, that's the thing that these people are waiting for. They're waiting for us to blow it. So they can what? At least laugh. Maybe mock and say, oh, you're just no different than I am. In some ways, how right they are. 
other than I desire to, to see the Lord God Almighty working in me, living in me, and changing my life. And so I have this thing that I deal with about if I have sinned, I come and I confess my sins. And He is faithful and just and will forgive me my sins. A friend of mine um, uh, was a pastor that I pastored with for uh, a couple of years. Uh, his name is Bill Gallagher. Bill, and he's, he's, he, he allows me to share this. He knows I do this. Because it's true, and not only that, I'm, I'm kind of can be the same way. But, but he said he's, he's quick to put his foot in his mouth. Say something hastily, and maybe not necessarily thinking about how someone will receive that. And he says, but you know, he's had, as a result, he, he realized, oh, I shouldn't have said that that way, or I shouldn't have said that at all, or whatever. And he needs, and he was so faithful, he needs to go and confess to this person and say, I am so sorry. And he did it privately, you know, unless it was done publicly, and he would go to them privately first, and he says, do you, he says, if, 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 if you don't mind, I'd like to, since I did this publicly, I need to confess publicly unless you don't want me to. I mean, he was so thoughtful. And he says he had more chances, and he, he did. He, a lot of those people that that happened to were not believers, and he actually led so many of them to the Lord. Uh, you know, so, so even through our imperfections, acting on them because of the Holy Spirit working in us, because we are different people, we, we come to forgiveness. And, and things still are a witness and a testimony. And where does the glory go? To God. And if you don't think it is, make sure people understand. Oh, not me, but the Lord. Paul, Peter, James, all of these guys ran into that as they were witnessing and, and, and doing things in their ministry. So, we make an influence. I think I've shared with you many times, my grandmother... And what an influence she was on me. And I didn't even know it or understand it until, until I, after I became a Christian. But even before I was a Christian, there were certain things I was doing that were because of her. And that would be like, like seeing a homeless person and bringing them food or, or, or ministering to their needs, this type of thing. Because that was what she did. And I spent so much time, especially growing up as, as, uh, in my uh, early childhood, and uh, going shopping with her, she'd pick up groceries. And I've shared this many times with you. Pick up groceries because she never drove. She walked and she carried her little uh, wagon thing that she pulled behind her with her groceries in it. She always bought more groceries than she needed because on her way home, she handed stuff out to people who were sitting on the, this one area, this one stretch that was on her way home, which was the skid row kind of thing, and, and handing food to these people, an apple, a sandwich, something like that. She, you know, And she just... She did that all, uh, all her life. I have nightmares. She read the Bible to me all, until I fall asleep again. And, and she didn't read it just you know, for, to impress me. She read it with a confidence and a belief that it was going to plant seeds and could calm my spirit even though I was not confessing Christ. God, the Word of God is powerful. So... You know, we're to be an influence. And I, and I thought, you know, who are we to be this influence on in and out of the church? On our friends, our family, the community, our co-workers. I'll tell you, boy, my, my co-workers that I had in San Jose when I was going to Bible college, they, they set entrapments up for me. 
you know, they wanted to, to, to see if they couldn't get me to break or, 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 or mess up. And they succeeded sometimes. And I'd have to go back and say, hey, I'm really sorry. That was, a, that was just really bad of me to react that way. And uh, I apologize. And they're sitting there saying, oh. You know? And, 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 and what does Romans say? It's, it's in 12, it's like heaping coals on their head, you know? Uh, but, but the idea is, is that, you know, there's, there's supposed to be something different about us. The Pharisees weren't meeting that criteria. They weren't helping others come to know the Lord. As a result, in fact, they were saying, if you're not like us, you're not good enough. They were putting extra burdens on them. So in a sense, not only Jesus says, you're not only keeping yourself out of the light and in the darkness, but you're doing the same thing to them. You're not helping them, you're hurting them. So again, we're dealing with this uh, issue here in Matthew 23, too, about character and, and lifestyle. Uh, so we, we start with verse 23 of chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and come <coughs> cumin and, and, and uh, have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides, straining at an atom, swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, as we open Your Word this morning together, we ask, Lord, that You would be with us as we... Uh, look at these uh, just few verses this morning and ask that through your Holy Spirit you would cause us and, and even challenge us to be examining our own hearts. Not just, it's, it's so easy to think, oh, I know that person or I know somebody like that and, and forget to look inside. We ask, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you would bring us to look inside this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've gone through the woes, uh, the first uh, three woes, 13, 15, verses 13, 15, and 16. I'm done really going into great detail with 14. Uh, and, and the idea is, is that you're, you're basically the theme, if you could say one of the themes, is that you're not light, you're darkness. You are blind guides. And you'll see that come up today as well. This idea of blind guides. Seeing things through an opaque mist or, 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 or painted wall that's been, you know, a window that's been opaque. Oh, I don't know how else to put it. You know, you look at something opaque, you can't really see through it. The light will kind of come through it. So it looks like it might be okay, but it's not. Okay? 
He says, so you blind guides, you, 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 you blind teachers, you're trying to lead the people and, and yet you, you're not even drawing close to yourself. And so with that thought, we, are, we, we look at the ones, the woes today. And by the way, uh, I'll use the same definition that I used last week from Jim Boyce. A woe is a lament or a wail concerning the final end for evil people. The reason why I say that, and you can go to verse 37 to the end of the chapter on, uh, of chapter 23, and you realize that, that Jesus was not doing this to be you know, vindictive or point a finger. He was doing it actually with a broken heart. And so the woe was to draw attention to it. And, and I also want to be cautious that you, you understand that not every Pharisee fit this, but that this was the general theme of things. In fact, at this point, there were some Pharisees that were starting to think positively towards Jesus. There were some that even came to his defense a couple of times uh, when, in, when the, the Jewish leadership would get together. And uh, the risk was being kicked out of the temple, not allowed into the temple, and, and excommunicated. Uh, so uh, they were hesitant to speak out, even if there was something working in their mind. So we start off with verse 23. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees. And, and then, you know, so I pointed this out last week, comma, hypocrites. So you could read it this way. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, pause, hypocrites. But you, or you could just say, you hypocrites. He's referring to them as hypocrites with that word. Now, what was a hypocrite? It was the person in, in Greek that was taking it back to a, a term that just simply meant an actor who was wearing a mask of a character. So that when you looked at him, uh, you would see that mask and say, oh, that's the character he's playing. Whether, whether it was a, a male or a female, it didn't matter because only the men were in the place. And, and so if he was playing a female role, he, he wore a mask. And you, you would identify him by that. That's what he's saying. You guys are masked. You know, men, you, you know, they, you, you've created a mask of what you uh, want to be perceived as. And, and he says, you're really a hypocrite. You, you're trying to look good on the outside and the inside is, is corrupt. And, and so he starts off with, you tithe mint, dill, and, and cumin. Now, that particular context of tithing was something that was above and beyond the law. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 14 or Leviticus chapter 27, it talks about tithing briefly and to tithe your grain, to tithe with the of your fruit trees, to tithe, uh, you know, but it, it, it didn't get down to the herbs grown in your home for seasons. And so the Pharisees added that because they wanted to be absolutely as, as, as clear and, and, and clean as possible in the sense of tithing. They didn't miss a step. I, I know people that today hold to the idea of the tithing principle. I know some churches that uh, are, are very open about, uh, you know, you meet with the, the leadership when you become a member. You actually disclose your wages, how much money you make. Uh, all this kind of stuff, and they set uh, 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 an amount that you should be expected to give for the year. And if, and if you saw all of a sudden there's somebody's giving you something like, let's say, your, your, you know, your my parents gave me a, a new car, or they they gave me their car, and because they got a new car, 
And uh, I, I, th- th- that's something that they would note, and they, they would say, don't forget to tie the value of that car. They were b- brutally blunt. And we say, well, no, that is, yeah, that really happens. There's, it's not a small number of people. Others would just say, you know, this idea of 10%, 10%, 10%. Well, in the New Testament, it does not spell out what you have to give. It does spell out that you need to give. It does spell out uh, in, a, in, in, in a format that a tithe is a format of a, or a principle about giving. And actually, you, to understand the tithe, you have to go clear back to Abraham and, and, Mel, and his work interactions with Melchizedek. That will take you through into Hebrews and, and, and talking about it to understand that there was a principle about the tithe. If you tithe the way the Jews tithe, that are called in the Old Testament, uh, it's 23.3%. So we, we, we want to understand the tithe was your, your gift and it was expressed in multiple ways. But these guys were wanting to make sure that they, they didn't miss a thing. So that made them right before God. This was, I'm holy because I even tithe my, my, my spices that I grow. I don't miss anything. So Jesus says, you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, uh, your, your garden herbs. And by the way, this was a debate at the time of Jesus and a sense of how far the tithes should go as to what you, you should give. And you know, if you were to ask me today, I, and I'm not going to get into a sermon on tithing because it would be just uh, it would take way too long, but the idea is, is that it's between you and the Lord, number one. Number two, it's what God has convicted you that with what you have, what you can give. Why do you need to give? Because God has chosen us, just as I, I said earlier, has invited us to come into the work of His kingdom and participate. And part of it is financial. And you think about it, God provides for me in such a way that I can share with what I, of what I've got and, and some ministry money goes to uh, some foreign country it goes to Haiti, it goes to other places, it goes to the rescue mission, so, and we're helping with the word, helping people in need, and and this type of thing. So we participating together. But Jesus says you're doing this, and you're neglecting weightier matters of the law. And he tells them specifically justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Majoring in the minors is what they were doing and, 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 and saying, you know, the obvious things that they could do, that they could do in a public format in a way that they would let everybody know what they're doing. And he says, but you're not doing it with, with justice and mercy and faithfulness from your heart. Meaning you, 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 your heart's not right with what you're doing over here. You're giving for the wrong reason. And Jesus does say something, and this is one of the ones that would say there's something about the tithe, because you know Jesus does say uh, these things, tithing of your 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 mint, dill, and cumin, uh, you ought to have done. Meaning, if you have, and and you have to tie it to the whole teaching and counsel of God, be careful. But if God has convicted you that that's what you should be doing, then you should be doing it. Does it mean that you should be making sure everybody else does it? No, you're not supposed to be the policeman about that. And, and so, uh, you know, he says, but you ought to have done that, with, but without neglecting 
the other things. You blind guides. Now, within the framework of what's next, it's a metaphor. You've got to understand this. You strain out a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. A gnat and a camel are both unclean to the Jewish diet. What he's saying here is, and by the way, they did this. The Pharisees did this. They carried a, a cloth that they would do, put over a, a thing before they, 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 they drank and poured it into a cup and to strain out the possibility, especially wine, because they had, I don't know if you know anything about leave grape juice out even here in, 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 in Fortuna, out very long, sitting on your counter, all of a sudden you see little bugs flying over it, and you might have one or two that get in there, and you might not see them. You, by the way, you may choke on one, you may not. But if you, you know, uh, but, but the idea is, is that that's what we're talking about. They strain those out because they're unclean. I don't want to do anything. So I am so meticulous about being right with God that I strain out my wine. Okay, before I drink. Jesus is implying, because you've got to follow the previous picture, because you're not doing the more important things, you end up swallowing a camel. That's absurd. Nobody can swallow a camel. Any more than you can get a camel through the eye of a needle. No. It's, it's, It's absurd. It was meant to be absurd. Jesus wanted to create a picture that was something that you would say, well, that's impossible. Or... Think of what you'd have to do to be able to ultimately swallow the camel. Okay, you'd have to, first off, you'd have to, to kill it, clean it, dress it. By the way, as soon as they did, touched it, they were unclean. And then they would have to cook it because they can't eat it without cooking it because they, they can't have the blood, drink the blood. So they'd have to cook it and, and then eat, devour it. It would be a lengthy period of time to do that. In other words, you know, you, you spend a lot of time doing these other things, you know, ignoring the right things, and, and you, you know, it's like, like swallowing a camel. How crazy is that? It's a metaphor. Basically, what he's saying is you, 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 you take small ceremonial or, or offenses and you make sure that you don't trip over anything small and you're neglecting the more important things. And, 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 and there are some huge offenses that are following after you that you are ignoring. And he does point them out. He has pointed them out already. We know one of them, again, I, I keep pointing it out, but it's just the easiest one to remember because you're getting used to hearing it. Corbin, tying up all my funds and my resources for ministry so that I don't have to take care of my parents, even though the biblical mandate is to take care of my parents. I'm ignoring the more important rule which would be mercy, faithfulness. I'm not even being just to them. So you, you see the idea picture here. He's building. You're missing the important stuff that needs to be done. Your lifestyle and your teaching says, as long as I do these menial little things and, 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 and down to the straining of the net or tithing of my, my, my dill and, 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 and mint and stuff, that, that I'm, I'm right with God. And Jesus says, no, you're not. That's not what makes you right with God. Being right with God may yet cause you to want to do that. But doing it by itself doesn't make you right. 
Verse 25 again, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. Interesting series of thoughts, but they were meticulous. And it, there was debates about this too. Do you, what part of the plate or cup do you clean first? You know, and, and do you start from the inside, uh, the center, and work out? Do you, and, and you've got to clean the outside. Do you have to clean? Well, no, you have to clean the outside first because that's what you're going to touch after, before you clean it. So you've got to pick it up with something between you and the outside and clean it. Okay? Because something unclean might have touched it. So now I've cleaned the outside. I can touch it. And, and quick, in the inside, you know. And he, he, uh, he says, you know, you're, you're, you're so meticulous about making sure that you do these in some sequence and order that makes you appear, again, to be right. I, look how clean I am. And he says, but the inside, your, your plate, your cup is actually full of, of greed and self-indulgence. Greed is a harsh word here. It's, it means it's, it's tied to the word extortion. But these are the guys that were taking widows' homes, uh, saying, look at how, with, with loud prayers just before they did it. And then they would, they would take the widows' home. So the scripture says you're not supposed to do that. That's not, there's no mercy there. there. There's no love. There's no kindness. There's no justice in that. So he says, your, your plate is full of injustice. Uh, it's lacking mercy. You, you know, and then you, 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 it's self-indulgent, which means um, uh, excess. Full of excess. More than you possibly need. But you're going to keep it all for yourself. Here you just took the widow's house. You didn't even need it. But now she's out on the street. Because she owed a debt. That was of her husband's. And she has no redeemer within her family to come and, and, and rescue her. So now she'll be homeless. Again, this is a metaphor. He's saying, you've got to clean the inside so that the outside can be clean. Okay, in other words, he's, he's speaking not of plates and cups and stuff. He's talking about people. If the inside, the heart, is not clean, the outside's going to be dirty. I don't care what you do. He's basically saying you've got this whole thing backwards. You're going about it wrong. Verse 27. Woe to you! Scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, you are whitewashed tombs. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Whitewashed tombs. During Passover, actually about the month before Passover, they would start doing this. Tombs that were right monuments, basically. Uh, today we would look at them and say grave plaques and, and this type of thing. Uh, or any little marker that would be on a grave. They came and whitewashed it. Because if you stand on a grave, you're going to be unclean. 
So this was to let everybody know where the graves were. And you'd say, well, just don't go to the cemetery. It's not that, it wasn't that easy back then. There was multiple places where people might be buried, including unmarked graves. Uh, and people would know that field is the potter's field. Don't go there, whatever you do. Okay, stay away from that. But there could be, based on, on, on families and, and stuff, as you're walking to, coming to and from Jerusalem, areas where there might have been a family burial space. You painted, the, you made sure that they were cleaned up and, and whitewashed so that they were visible. That was the, the intent here. He says, this is what you are. You're whitewashed tombs. Metaphor again. Obviously, they're not, you know, but which outwardly appears beautiful. And I put question mark about this because, you know, uh, you know beautiful, and, and, and the word beautiful would mean here or more in the context of the idea of, of looking clean and right and proper. Okay. Uh, but he says, but you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You are a grave, is what he's calling them. He's saying you're a grave. You're not clean at all. You're full of, of uncleanliness. Full all the time. When you come to Passover, you're bringing your uncleanliness with you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I tithed yesterday down to my dill and my, and my cumin and, 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 and my you know, uh, mint. I did everything I was supposed to do. I said my prayers. I, 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 I did the, recited the verses from Deuteronomy. I did all the things I'm supposed to do yesterday. So I'm ready today. But your parents aren't even, don't even have enough food. Did you take care of them? Well, I can't. We have another rule about that. It's not a biblical rule. It's not from the, from, the, from the Scriptures. But it's one that we abide by. He says, you're dead on the inside. In verse 28, he gives us basically a, a kind of a summary here. And, 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 and he puts it again, you, you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, uh, you also appear you know, outwardly righteous. To who do they appear that way? First, yeah, who said that? <laughs> Two points, but if I had the candy, I'd give you a toss. Um, the, 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 themselves, that, that's who's saying it first. I'm righteous. But they appeared righteous to each other. They complimented each other. And they appeared righteous to the, under people, the, the people that, that couldn't even keep up with any of that because the, their, their lifestyle, their, their living quarters, their living situations wouldn't allow that. The, the poorer people, the regular people. Uh, and, 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 and was basically, um, you know, they would look at that and just say, well, there's no way we can compete with that and do that. I'm just... You know, doomed. In fact, we have the disciples a couple of times saying, man, if you don't have money and position, how are you going to get saved? Jesus, you still, you know, that's not how it works. So he says, you appear outwardly righteous, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, this idea of, of, of 
greed and and uh, was was predominant among the, the them. And and you understand that the, the cleansing of the temple just a few days before was a reflection of that. What was going on? Business that wasn't only just business, but it was business that was in the temple courts, which was was Jesus says is wrong. But not only are you doing business there, but you're doing a corrupt business. You are, are, are inflated prices and, and, and charging usury. In other words, when you exchange your coins to get temple tax money, uh, you're getting charged for that and a profit is being made. And he says the greed was, it was seeping into everything. So it was even corrupting the temple. That's why Jesus did what he did. I'm willing to bet that by the next day it was up and operating just like it had been the day before. Here it is. You who are on the inside, uh, who you are on the inside matters most. But you focus on the outside and you've missed the boat. You are majoring in the minors. How easy that is to do. You think, well, I've, I'm, I'm in my reading the Bible through in a year program. I've done that every year since I've become a Christian. You know, a Christian for 35 years. How many times have you read the Bible through? Anybody read it through? How many has read it one time? Don't raise your hands, please. The, the person that asked us asked us to raise our hands. Arlene's over here. I remember this. Yeah. How many times have you read the and you know, a lot of people read you know, this is a Bible study, you know, and so that's the where the, the real Christians because they go to church, you know, two and three, four times a week. And uh, you know, we're ready. how many of you have done it two times? How many three times, four times hands are going down, you know. And then finally, you know, he gave up on Arlene because it was her hand was still up. You know. And uh, but the the idea was he says Oh, that's so good. How many times are you going to read the Bible next year? He was entrapping us, you know, basically. And it was, he says, you feel pleased about yourself having read it through so many times. But really, the issue is, is it doing anything here? You know? And so we can get caught up with our, our we can read our, do our devotions. We can read the scriptures every day. We can go to church every Sunday. We can write our checks. We can do all of these things and still be uh, less than what God wants of us in the sense of who we are. But we feel good. We've accomplished these things. We've done all these things. I must be doing okay. And Jesus says, you know, the, the real issue here is, is, is are you growing in the Lord? Let me, let me point out what I'm looking for here. Uh, and, and this kind of take us into communion. The idea is, are, do you have a relationship with God? And to have a relationship with God is more than I just do certain things and therefore I'm okay. Relationship with God is an exchange. I come before Him and we pray, we talk together, and He points out the things in my life that what? That need to be changed. The Holy Spirit is constantly under the work of convicting us. And the work, the, the, the convicting is going to happen until we are no longer here and we are transformed into our our. our, our permanent raptured bodies and, and, and there is no light, uh, darkness. There is no sin. We have a relationship with God. Life-changing relationship. 
And this relationship is because I have uh, confessed with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I want Him to change who I am. I have come to Him with Psalm 51 in my heart in the sense of saying, I am, I've looked at my heart and I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I, I can't stand it. I am in mourning over who I am. That's how I've come with the idea of being humble and meek. I, I, I'm not a good person. I need God's help. The only way I'm going to get saved is if someone comes and redeems me because I've got uh, I, I, everything that I see in Scripture is finally telling me, and, and reading the Old Testament as well as the New, that I am not capable of doing that on my own. I need a Redeemer. Someone to purchase me back from my sin and, and, and present me to God as a gift. That's what Jesus has done. Romans chapter 12. It's a good picture of what it is. And I shared a little bit of this uh, a couple weeks ago as well. Paul writes to them, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Holy and acceptable to God. How do I get there? Listen, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by the testing and by testing uh, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You've got to understand everything that Paul has written up to this point here. We recognize that everybody has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And when we confess with our mouth and, 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 and believe in our heart that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and we are saved, now begins the process of relationship. He says, come and offer yourself constantly as a living sacrifice for God that He might transform you. You won't be conformed to the way of the world, but be transformed. Is it all going to happen, boom, at once? No, it's, it's a process. And what might need to be healed or removed or changed in you first may not be the same stuff that needs to be changed in me first. So we can't even take that point and say, well, uh, the first thing that happened to me, uh, quoting a friend of mine, you know, was uh, my foul language and smoking and drinking. Therefore, if you smoke, drink, and, or have foul language, you can't possibly be saved according to the way he looks at it. Well, no, that was what needed to be removed from this guy first. Maybe God has to do something else before that happens with me. And there are some things that I will work really, really hard to push at and push at and push at and I can't seem to change. So I come alongside and I ask some brothers to pray with me. Ask the congregation to pray with me that I have victory over this particular sin. And I still can't seem to get it. We're all trying to push this, this huge boulder over this cliff and it's right at the cliff and it just won't go over. And I'm so frustrated because I can't seem to get past this point in my life. George and Harry did. And their rock was just in, boom! And I can't get there. Now, George and Harry could turn around and say, we're good, you're not. But fortunately, George and Harry are my brothers and they're actually trying to push it with me. 
for not condemning me. But then God says, just take, sit back and catch your breath here. Pray. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you everything that needs to be revealed? And all of a sudden, it's like God carries you around to the other side, you, you know, supernaturally, and you see the rock from the, from the open cliff side. And right underneath that boulder is a small rock that's wedged in there. And that's what's keeping the big rock from going over. You've all moved a car, maybe, or pushed a car or something like that. And you, or you put a wedge on the car to keep it from what? Rolling backwards. I've, I've given people bricks and called it emergent, you know, spare emergency brake. You know. uh, and, and it works. You know, try to roll a car backwards over one of those. It's a lot of work. Okay. And so God reveals to you this rock, and what it is is something really small, insignificant in your life that's been there as long as you can remember, and you never even knew it was sin. And you, you pray God, and God opens your eyes to it, and even though you maybe haven't got past it, he pulls it out of the picture. He pulls it out of the picture. And before anybody can push, the big rock falls. That's because I have a relationship with God. He can speak to me and, and, and point these things out to me. That was what was missing with the scribes and the Pharisees. Paul writes later on, you know, let love be genuine, be humble. Treat each other with the humility and, and the niceness and the, and, the, and, the, and the love that you want to be treated with. Try to outdo each other in, in, in honoring each other. The exact opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. And so that's what is happening here. This is what Jesus is pointing out. It's not for us to get in a triad really about the Pharisees. It's for us to look at the things that can interfere with our life and, stay, uh, and, and that we can get caught up on and say, as long as I'm doing that, I'm going to be okay. It's a constant picture. The last thing that I share with you this morning is from Colossians chapter 1. I've got to go back to where it was in my notes. Chapter 1, verses uh, 9 and 10. Paul is praying for the Colossians and he says, And so from this day we heard, we have not uh, heard about your faith and in, in, in coming to the Lord and stuff. He says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be, and these are the important things I want to show you about growing in the Lord, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in, fair, in every uh, good work and, in, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we have this picture of, of to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Uh, starts In order to do that, we need to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Before we can be filled with the knowledge of His will, we have to understand we have to have confessed, accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. And now Paul says, now what you need is to be filled with His will, the knowledge of His will. How does this happen? It happens as we come through the Word, through Scripture, through prayer, through uh, asking the Holy Spirit to change us. And as, as that happens, we begin to understand some things about Him. Everything? You're never going to understand everything. But we begin to understand some things. And this idea of, of, of having spiritual wisdom and understanding is the ability to figure out how to apply, how to use what He is showing you. And as that happens, 
we, we begin to change the way we walk. And a little bit of Christ is showing. And that says, you know, as you walk worthy of the Lord, it, you know, you'll be, find yourself increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, if you're increasing in the knowledge of God, what's happening? Well, then I'm filled with the knowledge of His will. And I'll walk in a manner worthy. And I'll increase in the knowledge of God. And I'll be filled with, it's called the Colossian cycle. And it just goes around. And the idea is that it's a constant picture. The wordless book, or the wordless bracelet, you know, picture. Heaven is a, a beautiful place. Streets of gold, yellow bead. I want to go there, sure. But I can't get there because of sin in my heart. Black bead. The red bead. Jesus Christ came and shed His blood. Causing my heart to be now seen by God as white as snow. But the green bead is, is the key to it all coming together. And I continue to grow in the Lord. That is what God wants to do with us. He wants us to continue to grow. Not just to be stagnant, but to grow in Him. And, and not to be content with what we have done, but to want to do what the next thing is with Him. And drawing closer to Him. And who knows how He's going to use you to possibly minister to someone else as well. And you might not even know it. But it's just because He's changing the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you think. He's changing you from the inside Father, we ask as we go to communion that You'd open our hearts and, 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 and our minds again through Your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might come as a Psalm 51 person with our hearts broken and, and, and realizing that we are sinners, we need You as our Savior, but not only that, as having You as our Savior, but Lord, wanting to be closer to You, to be a better witness for You, a stronger witness for You. Not because we get glory, but because You might be glorified. We worship You and thank You for including us in the family and making us a part of the whole thing that we might participate in this. Cause us to desire it more. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ask the ushers to come and uh, take the emblems, pass them, hold them, and, and each of you would hold them until we've all been served and we'll share together.